The Baptist and the Buddhist, identical twin brothers with two vastly different faiths. Join them as they explore their respective religions and how they differ and how they relate. Same DNA, different religions. Hey, everybody. This is... <laughs> You're listening to or watching The Baptist and The Buddhist with Mark and Brian. And we are on episode 10. Episode 10. We've made it to 10. Congratulations. We will make it to 11. Don't worry. Oh, yeah. No, um, it's actually been a couple weeks for us on this side of things. Hopefully not as much for you guys, because you should be seeing this in a couple weeks since the last episode. Um, yep. we, uh, we're going to talk about a topic that we brought up in the last episode, because we're just kind of letting this naturally play out at this point. And we're going to be talking about the community or the, the, uh, yeah, the community of our belief system, basically. Um, yeah. And... Uh, this is, I think, just to, looking at this topic from my perspective, I'm like, you know, this is going to be kind of like a uh, like a informal chat because there are some things I want to talk about that aren't really necessarily like biblically drawn from the text or anything, um, and it's more of like the practicality of something. So um, that's how I feel about it. It's kind of yeah. Just, I feel I feel the same way. Like it's. A topic that one could broach, you know, from a technical standpoint, but also from just kind of a, a more human aspect, I guess, if you want to say. Right. Uh, and also, it, we're not very prepared note-wise for this episode. <laughs> it's going to be an informal fireside chat yeah. with yeah. Mark and Brian. So grab a, your favorite beverage in your favorite in, mug in your favorite chair in your favorite building. <laughs> so speaking of buildings, um, <laughs> what when you think about like your like I'll say religious community, like what does that mean? What does that mean to you? Like, and just like kind of a concept or whatever. Like, what does a community mean? Like, it's, what is a community? So a community. So this is a great point. So what is a community? So there's, so there's natural communities and then there's intentional communities. And natural communities form naturally, you know, of course, just like the name says. Um, and there's no, there's no real like intention or forethought behind it. It's just what what people do naturally i guess you could probably say maybe like a neighborhood would be a natural community because you didn't intentionally plan to move there with all these people and mm. for a purpose you're just there and then you know you get to know your neighbors and all of a sudden there's a natural community an intentional community on the other hand is what you would find in buddhism which is a community that has formed for a very specific purpose and so the Buddhist community, for example, has formed behind the idea of of practicing the path of awakening. And so you will see a lot of the strictures and and rules
principles formed around not only oh how to end suffering but how to keep that intentional community cohesive and full of concord interesting i i do like how you brought up the natural versus intentional because i never really thought of that um i mean you must have been studying some sociology or something but no um but that actually brings like some really good thoughts for me um when it comes to like i mean when it comes to christianity community is extremely diverse like reasons behind things, organization. And I guess we can talk about like how things are organized, how things work in the community of the religious uh, congregation or whatever you want to call it. But like, I guess I'll start off with a few thoughts that I had. Um, and I've, I've been hearing some teaching and sermons about this kind of stuff lately, some of it I agree with, some of it I kind of question the the purpose behind or the intention of what they're trying to get at. And I've had some good conversations with other people that make me kind of think about the 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 reason or the intention behind the community or the church. Um, in Christianity, church is a very ambiguous term because... Um, some people say church means the building. Some people say church means the people. Some people say church means the the overall combination of believers. Some some um, denominations of Christianity will not use the word church for. The gathering of people they will only say the congregation so like oh yeah i know this person from our congregation not from our church or like the quakers where they have the meeting house and the meeting itself that's no that's a really good that that's a really good example i didn't actually know that about the quakers um yeah it's fascinating from from my um from my point of view, from my beliefs, church, we can use it for the building. I mean, we're not strict on words sometimes. Um, we're not strict on using the word church for like, or we can't say the building. We, usually we say like the church building or the church house or something. Um, but if it's in context of the church, then um, like the building itself and the conversation is like makes that obvious and I'm not going to I'm not going to bother not saying church. But biblically the word church is really just a gathering of people. Like there's in the Old Testament there was uh, the the Bible says there was a that church in the wilderness. Um that was when Israel was wandering the wilderness for 40 years. Um the Bible even says there's a church in hell. Like there's a gathering of people in hell. Um but I think the 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 more popular use of the word church is for the believers. Um, the this age were the body of Christ, and the Bible actually says the body of Christ, uh, like the church, which is his body of the body of Christ. So 
when we say the church, we mean the body of Christ, which is just the sum of all believers, the church. Now, there's that church, which sometimes we call it like the corporate church, um, the whole body of believers worldwide, the global church. Um, but a lot of people also differentiate that from the local church. Like, okay, we're all believers, but we are this local church. Like, we are Grace Church or whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to use my church name. <laughs> I almost did. Um they, a lot of people will differentiate that. And a lot of people will actually say you have to belong to a local church. Like if, if you are, if you want to be right with God, you have to be a member of this church, like on paper, like I tend to, especially like more recent than not, like kind of gotten away from that mentality, even though, and I'll kind of explain why, um, in a second. Um, but with the, with the local church in Christianity, that local church might belong, might belong to like a, a bigger conference or like organization. Like there's different types of like Presbyterian churches. Like they have a headquarters somewhere or they're like the Lutherans might, there's like the Southern Baptists and other Baptist, uh, um, conferences or whatever you want to call them. Um, but I belong to an independent church. It's an independent Baptist church. That means we are by ourselves. We don't, we don't have someone at some headquarters, like telling us what our bylaws are or like what to preach. Some churches have, um, have a centralized, basically like preacher that will like, communicate what they're preaching that week so no matter what building or location you go to in that certain denomination you will always hear the same sermon that week um it's just it's so diverse but yeah as i said some are some churches some local assemblies are independent from each other or just by themselves they don't have anyone any higher governing body governing them um, I know with my church, we have basically sisterhood or brotherhood with other churches, like maybe locally or in other towns, we might have like what we would call church plants, which are like someone goes from our church and goes to form a new church somewhere else because they see a need or whatever for that community. Um, so we might have church plants, but we don't call that like our church number two is just that church over there because they're independent. They are running their own show. Um, and so I, I wanted to talk about that for a second just to get that out there because some people are like, oh, Baptist church, like they believe weird things, but they might not know what kind of Baptist you're talking about because Southern Baptists are different than independent Baptists or I forgot what the other Baptist was. There's another conference of Baptists. I don't remember what it was, but um, like a lot of first Baptist churches you might see might belong to a specific conference or whatever. Um, I'm, I really don't know a whole lot about that because we're independent. I know I was, I was going to a church once and I was, I was like, a I was, 
going there for quite a while. You know what church I'm talking about. Um, where they changed like what organization they belonged to. And I, that was the first time I ever heard of that because that was, that was the first church I went to. Like when I was a new Christian, I'm like, Oh, that's kind of weird that you belong to something else. Um, within the local church, the local assembly, there are some, um, organization type structures. I'm not going to get a whole lot into it because you can talk about deacons and bishops and that's basically the two deacons which are just like the elders that help out the pastor the bishop like the bishop is just the pastor in like biblically biblical terms like i could talk i could call my pastor bishop if i wanted to but that's just not our culture apparently um there are some uh churches that are very strictly run by their governing body i think the presbyterians are one that have a lot of organization in the governing body like you have to get things okayed with the governing body um so they have a lot more structure a lot of a lot more like um corporate type meetings just to get the rec set the record straight well i'm used to a very relaxed organization in my church where like you might want to run it past by one of our pastors um, the senior pastor, if it's really serious, um, or you just do something on your own and they'll, they'll just buy into it and, and see that it was needed or good or something. Like if you wanted to do something, um, usually you just ask and they'll say yes, no matter what, almost. <laughs> so like, I'm used to a more relaxed atmosphere. I don't, I, I can't see the people I know going into like a me a boardroom meeting uh, to get something done, um, but that's just some churches do that. Some churches do that, and um, um, the, yeah, I'm not going to get too much in the organizational structure because that's not what we're really talking about. But um, I, I was saying like some people will say you have to belong to a local assembly like on pen and paper you have to be a member and a lot of times to be a member of a church you say i want to be a member and you sign or they just write your name down you might have to like be baptized into the church depending what denomination you're in um a lot of baptist churches like you just like have you been baptized yeah okay cool like we just want to know that for sure and if you're not if you're not baptized we'll baptize you so you can become a member kind of weird with baptism we'll we'll definitely touch on that one of these days because baptism is very uh interesting ordinance um for a lot of like christian denominations um but to me especially when you mentioned like natural and intentional communities i see how churches should be is almost like it should almost be natural and intentional because if you're going by the perspective of you have to be part of an assembly a local assembly or like you're not right with god or you're not a better person for yourself or whatever you're not gaining what you need to or whatever the case might be um that's that's more intentional like oh i have to find a church which one is right for me but like 
in my mind, I guess it's more kind of an idealist thinking is like, okay, you, you're, you're a believer, you, you're in the word and you are, you, you are, um, led by the spirit or convicted to find a church or a local assembly to go to. And to me, it's almost kind of like when you said the word natural, I see like churches as kind of like the natural way to go for a Christian. Um, no matter if you're like being led there or if you're convicted to go there and like, or like you just think it's the right thing to do. It's almost like a, like the river kind of flows into the door. Like this is just how I'm supposed to, like, this is just the way I'm going. Like I want to be around people that, that believe the same thing and that, that teach and grow in the same, uh, in the same doctrine or in the same learning or whatnot, what have you. Um, and that, that kind of just you bringing up that those two different communities kind of made me think about that, but it's probably more of intentional because there's a specific building for the specific purpose. Some churches, some uh, churches will have will just be out of a house i know a lot of grace believers you know dispensational like pauline they're a lot smaller of a group so they will usually have like um these church house like churches in their house basically and that's almost like a culture for them um is to have these and they usually don't use the word church either it's like grace bible like uh uh, like grace bible gathering or something i I don't remember exactly the word they use but a lot of times you don't see the word churches in those circles um or the word church in those circles so they almost like see the word church as kind of taboo like we don't want to use that because the the corporal body of christ the global body of christ is the church. So we're not going to call this a church. Um, but I think it, that it, even whether it's in a house or a building that you're renting in a strip mall or a giant building that you built for the purpose of having a church house, it's about the people, the body of Christ. And like, what does that community do Like, first off, we gather together. Usually we see a Sunday morning crowd, you know, Sunday morning church time. Like, that's just kind of how it classically is. And a lot of people will, some people will push on, push back on that. Like, uh, you're supposed to be observing the Sabbath um, on Saturday, for Friday evening, really. Um, and there's a lot of defense to the Sunday because Paul said, like, when you gather together on the first day of the week, um, especially the grace believers, like, yeah, let's just do the first day of the week. Cause that's what Paul said. Um, it, or it came from tradition, uh, in the church itself, somewhere back in history. Um, a lot of people will try to justify it one way or another, but we gather together. I see churches like when I went to Israel, 
The churches gathered naturally on Saturday because that's when all the synagogues gathered and that's when everything was shut down for Sabbath. So having a church on Sunday in Israel would be weird. It's just a cultural thing. Um, I've like my schedule is I go to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, usually, and a Wednesday night Bible study. We have like different purposes for those different services, but it's all f the people gathering together to hear the word of God preached and taught um, for our learning or our benefit, um, whatever you gain from what you hear. Um, but it's also a time to gather as a body of Christ. And there's this word that the, that the Bible uses called edification. You edify, you build each other up. It's basically just, you build each other up. You bear one another's burdens. Um, you, you know, iron, it talks about iron sharpening iron. Um, it's just the people together and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of what I've been hearing lately is about like the, the brotherhood of believers and how we benefit so much from it. And a lot of people don't emphasize that enough about how you come together, not only during church services, but as friends, as, as, um, maybe we, maybe there's like other activities that we do just because, you know, we're, we're all in this together. So let's go golfing or something like <laughs> they, uh, we have a lot of that kind of stuff going on all the time. Um, people form Bible studies left and right. Um, it's just a lot of camaraderie and a lot of helping each other out. Paul, the, the apostle Paul in the Bible, um, he would go to from church to church in different areas, like in Italy, in, um, in uh, obviously like around the Middle East, like in in um, Israel and in Syria and like northern parts of those areas. And he even went to Spain. Um, he he would a lot of what he talks about is how the churches should like how they should operate, how they should get together. Like he would address a lot of issues in those churches. Um, and those, those are like almost everything he writes is a letter to someone for some reason, like two letters to the Corinthians. Cause they couldn't get their acts together. Um, a letter to um, Philemon, which he, he was the owner of Onesimus, he was kind of a, like a servant. Onesimus ran away and Paul ran into him in prison. And it's like, hey, um, like receive Onesimus back because he's one of us. Like apparently Philemon was a Christian. It's like Onesimus is a Christian. Like you need to treat him better. So like he sent him back with this letter. And like we have the letter in the Bible. It's a, like the shortest epistle uh, that Paul wrote. Um, he just has a bunch of different letters to different people for different reasons. And a lot of the times it was about the, the church members getting along almost, or like what to do when and they would have questions. Um, and he would answer them. And like, that kind of gives us guidance as a church, um, 
what to do and how to act to certain people. Paul had a, had a lot, like a, had a big, uh, heart and like a lot of charge for the people in the churches to like take care of widows. Um, like for, for some reason he emphasizes widows here and there, like, Hey, take care of them. Um, he even talks about giving to the leadership of the church. So, you know, you would have a bishop or a pastor, um, basically running the, leading the church and the people. Ideally, you would want to give money to the church to support your preacher, to support the building or whatever needs you have. Um, because that's what they do for a living as they study and read the word of God and present it to you because some people are just too busy to study and read the word of God 24 seven. Um, some churches are very, um, fortunate to be able to like support a preacher full time. Some preachers have to have like quote unquote, like real jobs. We call it the tent making jobs because that's what Paul did. He made tents. He was a tent maker. Um, for some time at least, um, but just to support themselves. But Paul says it's like ideal to support your preachers and your ministers. And, um, and that's like one of the functions of the people as well, um, in, in the church community. Um, there's a lot of outreach too. Um, I've seen some churches, don't have a whole lot of outreach and you, you know, what does outreach mean? I mean, there's like, you know, gospel based, uh, gospel based outreaches, like, you know, tell people about Jesus in the prisons or on the streets or in nursing homes or whatever. But there's also like outreach that you could do in your community to help the less fortunate. Um, unfortunately I don't see a whole lot of that in some churches, um, some other churches have great like programs to help just the the natural community around them, not just their church community, but their their city they live in. Um, I, I mean, I've we've seen some local disasters here where some churches just basically run a whole operation to help out, help everyone out, you know, get their houses built back up or whatever they need to do. Um, there's just so much about like a church community that we can talk more about, but like, I don't even know how to get specific on some of these because like there's so many different functions and so many different ways to deal with things within the community issues. Um, tons of different things. So like I almost, want to just stop there. Like if you have any questions specifically about my side, um, or any like topics of discussion that you want to see from me, or you can go into your stuff, but, and maybe when, once you get into your stuff, I might say, Oh yeah, like let's compare now, <laughs> but that's just my, that's just my bit right there. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, uh, comparing to be done. Um, but first I'll probably just give you a little preliminary rundown and then kind of my own experiences. Um, 
So community is, I mean, is, is vastly important in Buddhism. Um, and we might talk about this aspect a little more in a, maybe an episode about baptism and refuge. But uh, in Buddhism, one who becomes Buddhist is said to take refuge in what are called the three jewels. And it's the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And the Sangha is the the community. So you're taking refuge in the Buddha, the teachings, and the community of practitioners. Hmm. And the Sangha is uh, generally, traditionally used to really uh, refer to the the monastics and especially like the enlightened people uh the the community of the enlightened ones but um it also refers to the monastics uh the monks and tradition traditionally the buddha breaks down the the community of buddhist practitioners into what he calls the fourfold assembly and that's the the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis or the monks and nuns and the lay people the lay men and the lay women and so from from the from the inception of of buddhism there's oh there's been this relationship between the monastics and the lay people which is really really foundational in theravada buddhism um and you get some of it in the later schools like Mahayana and and Vajrayana, but um, but Theravada is definitely a very monk focused uh, tradition where the community is kind of centered around this relationship, and and so you will see this kind of framework of you have the monastics who you know who teach the Dhamma and and practice the dhamma and then you have the lay people who support the monastics um and i mean the monastics have an extensive list of what they cannot do you know codes of conduct um which most of those codes of conduct actually don't necessarily play into the direct path of practice but actually are are enacted to help keep the community cohesive and so you you'll see rules for monks who can't touch money like monks are not allowed to touch money and i mean the 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 life of a monk is one of voluntary poverty you literally own nothing but like three robes and a bowl um, and some some requisites uh, like the the monks are allowed uh, like food and medicine and stuff but there's there's rules that come to come with that too like they can't store food and so every day they rely on the lay people to give them uh, to give them food you know they go on their alms around you'll see them with with their bowls going through town and they can't expressly ask for food either they can't ask for really anything and so you'll hear a lot of stories of you know monks 
who are invited to take these things from the lay people and or have lay people drop stuff in their bowls and so there's this like re- this interplay where where the monastics give the lay people the opportunity to practice generosity practice compassion in a very direct way that helps to benefit the dhamma itself in propagating and you know sustaining through the through the monastic practices um and it's it's just really interesting looking at like the history and through the stories and stuff in the in the in the uh the suttas and in the vinaya the monastic disciplines um there's just this really interesting story that kind of gives you a a kind of a surprising picture of how the sangha formed initially the buddha like from the get-go the buddha you know he made his robes out of rags from the cloth they would cover the bodies of the dead in the charnel grounds and he's he you know initially picked them up sewed them together and created this robe and and after a while after he you know started gaining followers some of the lay people people would be like hey could we offer cloth for robes and this is the the surprising thing about the the creation of the sangha and the monastic life too is that it 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 as it grew it it took form it was a very almost to me it almost feels like the buddha had this experimental intentional community because he would come up with rules as they go like you know what that's a good idea okay we can take we can take cloth like we can accept cloth for robes but only under these circumstances Hmm. and following these rules and so a lot of the stories is something happens and the buddha's like you know what we need a rule for this you know either to prevent this bad thing from happening again in the community or you know this is actually a benefit for the community because uh that's an an important uh, distinction is that like the buddha wasn't like okay we can't have you know we can't have nice things because um, what he taught was a middle way a, between asceticism, complete austere, you know, a discomfort, and like complete indulgence. So it's like, oh, there is a middle way. We, we can accept cloth for robes, you know. Um, and so the, the the kind of framework of the community was built up after an initial kind of settling period almost i mean initially they were homeless wanderers without a place to stay and then some rich uh rich followers were like hey what if we build you a a monastery you know and so there came a synthesis of okay what you know what can we allow in the creation of a dwelling place and it's 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 just really it's such endlessly fascinating uh material to delve into and learn more about from there um but in the modern world it's not quite the same 
especially in the West. Uh, I don't even think we have like a monastic presence in my area where we live. Um, if we do, they're, they are not very like public because I haven't really ever heard of them. Um, but what we do have are, are, are communities of lay practitioners and in, in the, in the West, in the Midwest of America, the, the community of Buddhist practitioners, one is very, uh, is, is very varied, <laughs> um, very n- not uniform. You have people coming from all sorts of directions and angles and, uh, traditions and so, like the the temple that I'm a member of, for example, is. I mean, we have a we have somewhat of a central, you know, foundation. But the people we see come and go, like it's a Tibetan, a Tibetan center, but I don't practice tibetan buddhism um and really follow too much of the teachings but it's you know it's the dhamma it's you know it's it's good um <laughs> so it's 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 interesting to like look at the the traditional communities and then see what we're what we have to deal with now, like what, what we have to work with, like kind of what you were saying about the, about culture is that like, you know, in, in Buddhist, in the traditional Buddhist, um, community, you know, you might have the daily alms rounds and there's also like practice periods, uh, like auspicious days, um, to really focus and devote to to practice, which I think it's like uh, days of like the full moon, the new moon, and uh, something else. I'm it's slipping my mind right now. The upasata, I think it's called. Um, we don't have that here. Hmm. We are, and we are at the. We have succumbed to the cultural expectation of Sunday service. You know. <laughs> Um, so we have Sunday services, um, and we, you know, we get, we also observe like Buddhist holidays and stuff like that. But it's, it's interesting to see the cultural, uh, influences. Hmm. That is interesting. You know, one thing you were talking about, um, the, how like the lay people kind of support the, the monks, um, it made me think about this uh, kind of a meme that I've seen for a while. Um, and it reminded me, oh, yeah, I, I, I guess I could bring this up, too. Um, because you said this, like, it reminds me of how the church, you know, we have our lay people, but technically we're all lay people. Um, that's kind of more of like a Catholic term in Christianity, because like our pastor, he'll say it. Like he's just like everyone else. He just happens to be the person we're paying to teach us. But like we've changed his mind thing, his mind on things. And he's not opposed to hearing 
different things and being challenged. Um, but we, we do pay to support our pastor, our leadership, and also our missionaries. The Bible calls them evangelists, but, um, you know, everyone knows them as missionaries and, um, like, what do they do? Well, normally their primary objective is to go out and preach the gospel. And there's this meme that I always see where there's like this, like it's like in a, like a flood disaster area. And there's this like drowning goat and this guy is grabbing a goat and it's an actual photograph of like something happening. This guy is like dragging this goat over like this wall, this like damn wall or like some kind of like uh, wall that water's rushing over and he's grabbing this goat or the sheep or whatever animal it was like with all his might. And there's a guy grabbing onto him, like, uh, like supporting him to keep him up. And it's like, okay, the goat is like the people that the missionaries are reaching out to. The guy that's holding the goat is a missionary. And the guy that's holding the guy is the church. Like we support the missionaries so they can do what they're doing. Um, and like, you know, especially in independent circles, like missionaries are at completely at the mercy of their supporters. So they will go on, um, they'll go on, uh, like terms of, um, traveling from church to church, just simply to present what they're doing and seeing if we'll, if a church will support them. Last night, we just had a missionary at our church going to a certain country and he, they're like, yeah, we, this is our plan. This is what we're doing. This is what we want to do. And this is what we have so far. And we are, as a church, we decided to take them on as a missionary. So that means we're going to support them regularly, like monthly or whatever, our, whatever we want to pay them on whatever interval. So there's that sense of supporting them um, just as much as supporting leadership and whatnot but it is a little different um because we don't see people on different levels um missionaries are just you know doing what they're called to do it's just like a pastor's doing what he what he's called to do and when i say called it's not like they're like hey go be a pastor he's like you know what i want to be a pastor um and it's just like any anybody else doing a ministry i think we brought that up in like episode one the ministry like i'm i might i do several things i don't get paid for because i don't need to get paid for it but um first corinthians 12 talks a lot about members of the body of christ and when they say members he literally means like members like literal fingers and stuff like these are my members um and he i think this is one of the things the Corinthians were really messing up in Corinth was like, um, like, uh, honoring each other. And he, Paul talks about, um, a lot in this, like first Corinthians 12. If you want to see how like the body of Christ should work together, read the whole chapter. Um, because uh, I mean, he talks about being by one spirit, the Holy spirit were baptized into one body, um, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, bond or free, we have been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So there's lots of people in this one body. Um, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? 
know, and if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? No. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where were the smelling? Uh, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body and it hath pleased him. And there was something that I read in this. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's really, that shows like this one place, this one uh, verse kind of shows how to, how you're supposed to treat everyone um, in the body of Christ. Um, it says, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor and our more uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our parts have... Uh, for our company parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that which, that part which lacked. And there shall be no schism in the body, and that the members should have the same care for one for another. So, like, when we say the body of Christ, like, it's like, it's likened unto a body, like the fingers, toes, like everything. Like if you stub your little toe, guess what? Your whole body is in agony. Like, oh my goodness, like just a small hangnail. Like, oh my goodness, I can't function. Like <laughs> we, we bear each other's burdens um, just because just because my head didn't stub my, itself on the corner of the stairs. And I'm, I'm serious. I think I broke it. Doesn't mean it doesn't care. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, it, it's it was kind of interesting to see that like how he mentions like the littlest like the littlest parts like basically like this thing is useless um like god thinks like god has like more honor for that and i think of like as a community in the church like obviously we have our pastor we have missionaries we have like our our deacons that help the pastor and we have, you know, teachers and all this stuff. Like the, we always see them in high regards, like, oh man, that's, that guy knows a lot, but like, we never see the person scrubbing the toilets and it's all volunteer based in our church. Like, Hey, who's going to scrub the toilets or, you know, who's going to fix the lights. Who's going to do the accounting for all the giving and how to separate it all. Like no one really sees those people. And we try to make a, a good point of like, like honoring those people. Like, yeah, thank you for your service. Like gifts are given every year sometimes to like some of the important people or whatever, which I don't like seeing that done because it makes it feel like other things are not as important. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, thanks for doing, thanks for running our technology up there. Here's a check. Like, what about the people that like cut the grass and all that stuff? Like, they we all help each other out and um it's kind of humbling to see that but it's also very encouraging when you're that person that you know prints out the bulletins each week or something like to see that like you're actually doing something important like without that person like 
something just doesn't seem right. Like, oh no, why is this not here? I'm mm. going to complain to someone. Like, you, how about we figure out why it's not there to begin with before you start complaining? Like, it's just how the the people mesh and in in the body of Christ, we all have a part to play. And we all are really, we all are important. And, um, like, I think Jesus wants us to see that when Paul talk, when Paul tells us about these members that we're all important to each other and we all have gifts. He goes on about talking about gifts. Um, like not all our teachers, not all our, uh, our prophets, um, but we all have a different part to play. So not everyone has to be a missionary. Not everyone has to be a, a toilet scrubber. But even the smallest, the smallest like ministry to someone is to like pray with them or bear their burden with them. Uh, it's that edification again. Yeah. I like that. The edification, I, it, I think it rings true in the Buddhist uh, communities as well is that um, I mean like practice practicing Buddhism is a very personal thing you know it's you're developing skillful you know skillful means and skillful everything you know but and but so it's like, oh, what's the point of community if you're doing if it's a thing you're doing on your own? But it's that edification. It's uh, I think I read that like, uh, what was the phrase? It was that having a good community and good friends gives you a sense of discretion, and in in Buddhism that's really important because, I mean, the Buddha had said before that you know the that having good spiritual friends is the whole of the practice it's the the entire path is having good friends and that's because have like surrounding yourself with good uh like like i don't want to say like-minded but people with the same aim i guess um doing the same practice sitting sitting there doing exactly what you're trying to do uh it, I mean, first, it just kind of inspires you and uh, edifies you. And it also kind of helps, like to me, it, it seems like it helps with what we call heedfulness. You can, you can, you can see, you get this kind of support to be able to see, oh, is this skillful? Is this unskillful? Um, kind of like a reminder, you know, and I've heard so many people talk about like, you know, in, in a meditation retreat or even just like Sunday service where everyone's sitting, uh, practicing it, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, we're, we're all doing this to our, like, you know, we're all to ourselves and practicing, but like being around people sitting there is like, it just adds this totally different energy to what you're doing than if you're just that's sitting at so home. true that's very true like and i think like i've heard the same exact thing like having a good like friend or like we go we go 
as far as saying a brother is like, we're all in the same family, basically. Um, like having a friend or brother, like basically like take this walk with you is like one of the most important things ever. And like one, th one word that I don't think we mentioned yet was like, it was, it's so encouraging. Like yeah. even just like as a real world example, outside of, outside of beliefs, like me and my friend got together and we played music and you know, we're music, we're musicians. Sometimes we don't have time. Sometimes we just don't have the drive, but like playing music with my friend was like, man, I am going to start playing some more. Like I'm, I'm teaching myself some skills and like, I want to get better at this because it's one of my passions. And it's kind of the same thing with the, the body of Christ or, or any like-minded people in your belief, like getting with them, um, especially when they have new stuff for, or even just being there like wow someone i'm not alone in this like it, it's very encouraging um it does build you up it does edify you and it it's like i don't know I, I, from my perspective we're not doing this just as a personal like alone thing like like it's almost impossible to do to walk in the spirit without other people because as a believer, we have the spirit indwelling us. They also have the same exact spirit indwelling in them. And like, as, like even there's even like a spiritual sense of like when we gather together, like that's more of God's spirit together. And that like heightens the, the spiritual like presence of it almost. Um, and like you, we need that. We need people. And I mean, I just, I think of a, uh, a poem that uh, one of the musicians that I listened to wrote, it's called not alone. And like, he says like he, the whole, the whole poem is like, like even like, like not alone, like being alone is this, but still you're not alone. Like, even if you're alone, you're not alone. Hmm. Like, and he goes to that point. I'm like, that is so true. Like that, that is very true. And like in Christianity, we're not alone because we have God indwelling in us. But I take that so much further as like, we have so many other people in our lives that it's almost impossible to be alone. Like it. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I say like we're practicing alone, it's, it's, we're practicing on ourselves, I guess, like the practice of meditation and practice of virtue and like building these skillful qualities. Um, like you're not doing it alone, but like you, ha you have to be working on yourself. It's an individual thing. Yeah. Cause you can't yeah, yeah. like, you can't do it for someone else. Um, you can't make someone more virtuous or you know, make them a better meditator or whatever, but, right. um, but I mean the, the way the Buddha stresses good companions and good friends. And I mean, he even says like, if you can't find a good spiritual friend, like go alone because it's, it's not worth going. It's not worth going with someone who, is you know harmful to the path or hmm. is you know what might be called a fool um 
And it's, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think I, I can't stress it enough. The, the, uh, when he says that, that good spiritual friendship is the whole of the path. It's like, it just emphasizes you the great importance. And it's like you, and I mean, the way, you know, you see the, the Sangha and the, the community of monastics and of lay people, the, the householders, um, like it's vital to have that community. And I mean, it's vital from a Buddhist perspective because that's what keeps the Dhamma alive. Uh, hmm. and yeah, that kind of, made me think about first Thess Thessalonians four, like he starts out by saying like, um, basically how to walk because I mean, verse one, he says like, um, how ye ought to walk and please God. And it talks about like things you shouldn't be doing like, uh, certain like uncleanness and like we we're called unto holiness. Um, and then he talks about he transitions into brotherly love. Um, and he says, you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. He says, you don't need me to write that about that to you. Um, one thing that I like kind of bridges it all together was like, um, like walking in cleanness, basically brotherly love. But he all of a sudden starts talking about the rapture and it's like, this is how it's going to happen. This is what's happening. Like this will come first and then, you know, the voice of the archangel and all this stuff. It's like, where is he getting at? Like, why is he putting this here? But the very last verse of that, it was wherefore comfort one another with these words. And it's like, oh, like we like, let's remind each other of the hope we have. Like, don't, don't go after these, these unclean uh, things or um, like all this stuff. And it kind of just brings together like walking, uh, like walking in sanctification, basically brotherly love, the rapture, and then, oh yeah, comfort each other with these words so we can, so we can walk a path that we should be that's, like, oh, he ties it all together. That's really interesting. I think I read, I think a book I'm reading right now, like actually touched on that exact thing, like maybe that exact like verse where it's like <laughs> oh amongst all this weird stuff it's like oh there's this little this little bit that really like drives home the point which mm -hmm. is like you know comfort each other like you know you're there to support each other and comfort like through all this horrible stuff and like tribulations mm -hmm. and trials and no stuff. The, and that's actually the some of the exact words maybe not but in verse 13, like Paul says why he's telling us all this before he even goes into the rapture. But um, this is part of why he's telling us. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning which them are asleep. So that's dead. Like the, the body is asleep, basically. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Like, okay, there's like some people like despair in death and are very sorrowful but like this is why we're gonna talk about the rapture like he just go, starts going into 
the rapture. And then he's like, comfort each other with these words. So like, there's a huge part to play with the members of that community is comforting, comforting each other with those words. And like, that's, that's part of brotherly love that he talks about. Those are the yeah, brotherly love. Um, And I mean, he talks, that's another good, uh, another good chapter for like community based, um, community based actions, if you will. But I I think it kind of just goes without saying, um, in any community, there's always going to have to be a relationship. Um, obviously being like-minded helps. I've seen some very toxic communities. I've been in one that has actually uh, damaged me more than I would like to admit. Um, Because I was doing a ministry I thought I really was going to enjoy. And there were just some differences that we, I couldn't be, we couldn't be ourselves more or less. And there might have been some toxic a a toxic angle that the leadership was coming from that didn't like how we were doing some things and ended up kicking us out. And it wasn't because we were doing anything bad. It wasn't that we were uh, talking hatefully or damaging the people or the building or like anything. Like we weren't doing anything destructive, but the mindset of the the leadership was a little in my mind it was a little toxic to where they couldn't have like we just didn't jive we didn't agree on the same principles um and i mean that that kind of pushed me away from a direct ministry like that um and really it was a very discouraging time um and I kind of just veered more towards practical ministries. Um, but yeah, there's definitely uh, like we are talking all good community stuff, but there's always going to be some, something sour. Like I've seen people have to get kicked out of the church because they, they wanted to challenge a lot of things and it was disrupting the, the community's like relationships where like it was too distracting. It's like, okay, like we can have these conversations, but like you don't interrupt everything all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we have some people that don't agree with what the pastor might say and they, they're not even, you know, we're like, again, we're a Baptist church, but we're not all Baptists at, in, in, practice or in beliefs but i mean i see bereans like there's a a small group called bereans out there i see some of them at our church some grace believers like we're all quote-unquote grace believers at our church but some will stick to the baptist name some won't and but we all we're all very close in relationship to each other in the body of christ but there are some of those that just want to cause disruption (laughs) yeah i think and there are ways to deal with those people like biblically speaking 
Yeah, I think it's it's. I mean, it's safe to say that, that you will almost always find something like that in every community and workplaces. I've seen people get kicked out. Oh my gosh! Yeah, because of that stuff. I've seen people get fired because of you know the how they treat others and and how they just yeah threats of violence, terroristic yeah. threats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean the the Buddha was never ambiguous <laughs> with how a community should work. I mean, you, I mean, lists. I've got some lists for you. <laughs> I mean, there's like you know seven good qualities of being like a you know a good friend, like and. I mean, and if you want to get into the how the monastic community should should work, I mean, just look at the Vinaya. There's it's a third of the Tipitaka itself on how a monastic community should operate. Um, and then you have like you know a, just so much, and I mean, like you're describing how like you're. I don't know your congregation or whatever you want to call it, like is made up of all these different people um from differing you know approaches and I mean that's just uh, that's the same with with me like we have we don't just have you know Tibetan Buddhists um you know practicing you. yeah I mean there's me who you know tends toward much more toward Theravada you have people who are into Zen or some other kind of Mahayana Buddhism you have just you 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 would have agnostic people who are mildly interested you have pagans like hmm. when I started going there I was really shocked at how many pagans there were like wow like this you know because I used to be in the pagan community so it's like I thought this was a Buddhist community. What is going on? Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's a, you could draw like a kind of differentiation between like the actual Buddhists, the actual Buddhists who like have taken refuge vows and the, you know, people who have not, um, or who, who are just interested, um, in, exposing themselves to that kind of community and i mean even our membership at my temple like you don't even have to be buddhist to become a member you you just take these like four sessions of classes and like classes and they're very basic preliminary just like oh this is how this place works boom you're a member like hmm. um it's very informal and there's no there's nothing you have to you know promise to to do really um in order to become a member but and so there's that kind of informal like physical practical community membership versus like oh you want so you want to become a buddhist hmm. and i think we'll we'll talk a lot more about you know the conversion or whatever um and the, uh, the operations and functionalities and maybe even the uh, 
like the rituals that go into it. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. I could say a lot on that. There's a lot of controversy on my side about that kind of stuff too, <laughs> which I'm very interested to uh, talk about because <laughs> I don't know if you know what I know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think you do. <laughs> I I know I don't know. I know. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Um, great discussion. Um, for those of you that are listening, that are part of our community, whether natural or intentional, um, please reach out to us because that's what com- part of community is communication. Same root word right there. So please reach yes. out to us. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're on all the podcast places. Instagram. Um, Instagram, hit us up on the gram. Um, email hashtag us. Hashtag Baptist and Buddhist. <laughs> hashtag Baptist Buddhist. Um, uh, email us at Baptist and Buddhist at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, notification bell, comment, review, all of that stuff. We really appreciate it. Yeah, just let us know. Just even just say hi. We just want to know you're out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see you guys downloading our podcast. And I would love to know who you are. <laughs> and <laughs> or how are just, we doing? <laughs> yes, yes. What do you guys want to hear from us? Because yes, we're suggestions. shortly, shortly we're going to run out of ideas. Eventually, please, guys, please. We're scraping the, the <laughs> we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. We're not asking for no. money yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, thank you guys for listening and tuning in. And, and uh, I think. We're going to have some more great discussions, and that can only be possible by your viewership. And viewers like you. Viewers like you made possible, yep. Uh, So this has been The Baptist and the Buddhist with Mark and Brian. With that, we will say goodbye. Goodbye.